You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. All right, so if you have a Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 22 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So use those little handy-dandy ribbons that you have in your Bible to put a a ribbon in 1 Corinthians 11 and one in Luke chapter 22. Um, and uh, let, me, let me read. If you, do we have Bibles in the back today? Yes or no? We do. Okay, if you don't have a physical Bible and you love the tactile feel of paper on your hands, raise your hand and we'll get you a Bible. And it's for free. You can keep it, take it home, just read the book of Job this week and come back and give us a report on that book. <laughs> so that's the only thing we ask. So raise your hand. You get a free Bible today, only today. Um, All right, Luke chapter 22. Let me read this to you to give you some context about what's happening here in 1 Corinthians 11. Keep your hand up. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, give you some context by reading Luke chapter 22. Let me start at verse 7, Luke 22 verse 7, and uh, and then we'll jump right over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and then I'll pray. Luke chapter 22 verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. This almost sounds super Jedi. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, Make preparations there. And they left. They found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from it, from the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11, let's start. In verse 17, Paul writing to the church in Corinth. This is the book that we're in presently. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, Paul writes. For your meetings, your, your church gatherings, it was a lot different then, but in essence it was the same as us. Uh, it's kind of the, the same context as our meetings this morning. Your meetings, your gatherings do more harm than good. When you go to church, it's like worse, you're worse off for going to church. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt they ha- there have to be uh, differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own suppers, your own private suppers. You're not eating the Lord's Supper, you're eating your own suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and the other gets drunk. And that's not hyperbole, like they were really getting drunk. Don't you know you have homes to eat and drink in? Or, you de- or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, 
On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, I pray that this morning we would be captivated by both the the meaning of communion, the essence of it, and God, what it points to, what we celebrate here as we gather as a church. I pray that we would get that sense of you inviting us in. I pray that all of us would, would, would hear the voice of Creator God saying, I, come and eat, dine with me. I pray the invitation would be for everyone, every single person, no matter where they're at or where they've come from, whether their past or their proclivities, their sins or their abuse, that we'd all find unity and peace and shalom at the table with you this morning. Open up your word to us, Holy Spirit, would you anoint me and use me as, I, as we, we look at this scripture together in Jesus' name, amen, amen. I, um, it's no surprise, I love, I love food. And I love food in San Francisco, amen? Amen. amen. I love food in the city, I love the cheap burritos that you get in the mission, like Ferrolito and Cancun. Just write that down if you don't know. Um, I love the more pricey meals like the insane fried chicken at Wayfair Tavern or my wife and I, my personal favorite, Kakari, when you can get into that restaurant. It's amazing. More than food, I love meals. I especially love when my wife cooks and we sit at a long meal and my wife loves to cook. And whenever we have guests over, I have to remind her that there are only two people or so showing up, not 15 people that are showing up. And it's not Thanksgiving. That's normally what I, how I start. I go, babe, they're coming over dinner. Okay, first of all, there's only two of them, not 15. And it's not Thanksgiving, but it does not matter. She's, she makes like six to 12 dishes, and I'm not even exaggerating. Like that's, and, it's, and we have to have a big table for just two people. And I've been recently going, I think I want to redo our, our dining room and get a smaller table. She's like, where are we going to pull the food? <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I got to like plan for where the food goes. Yes, I... Like, they're not just plates, it's just like platters of food. And, and my favorite part is right before we pray and, and just ask God to be present in the meal and, and, and enjoy the goodness of God through this meal, uh, I like when, my, when I, I turn to my wife and go, go, go ahead. And then she explains everything on the table. She's like, okay, this was cooked like this, and that's what this is, and, this, and, I, and, I, and I just like, I ex- get excited. I'm like, ooh, I, I probably won't like that. She's like, you'll, you'll like that. I'm like, no, no, it doesn't look like, she's like, shut up, you'll like it, just eat it. <laughs> And it, she's right, and I just throw it all on my plate, and I, I love, I love those meals. And not only do I love meals, I love to, um, I love to dine. Have you ever, like, dined, like, a three-hour meal with, like, 15 courses, and you enjoy company? And it's, like, the kind where you don't even, if you're out to eat, you don't even look at the menu um, until you've, you've done starters. Like, the, way, the, the wait staff keeps coming to you, and you're like, not yet. We're still talking, not yet. Oh, we'll start with this food, but we're not going to look at the menu yet. We're not going to order yet. Just keep the menu here. And then an hour later, okay, I think we'll order some more of this food. And then you, an hour later, okay, we'll order some more of that. Like when you dine, and my friend and I have a thing where we try to outdo each other. Like we'll pick up the bill and we'll try to see who can, who can pay for the most insane longest meal. And we have a, like a running thing like three and a half hour, four hour meals where we dine 
and by the time we're done, we know our, our waiter or waitress, we, we know them, and when they're like sitting with us, like by the end, they're like, you gotta have to start doing dishes, you gotta start pitching in around here, because we're about to close this place. Like, I love to dine. Both of my sisters are in town today, one of them doesn't live here, so I'm looking forward to tonight, we get to go and dine together. We get to go and have a meal together and talk about life together and catch up. I can't wait. One of my favorite things about Jesus is that wherever Jesus is, there's always food around. I mean, you've, you've not read the New Testament unless you understand this. Jesus knew the importance of a good meal. His first miracle took place at a wedding feast, and the wedding feast ran out of wine. And Jesus took vats of water and made the best wine anyone has ever drank ever, ever. And everyone had had probably too much wine at this time, but Jesus went ahead, I don't know why, just did it anyway. And they were like, oh my gosh, normally every, they wait, like they bring out the bad wine once everyone, like everything's good at that point. But you've saved the best until now. That's what they were telling the guest or, or the host. Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves to feed thousands. He did this twice, and that's, all the, that's, that's what's recorded. I mean, he might have done this more, but what's recorded, he's done this twice. Here's a, a Coptic icon of Jesus feeding the multitude. I love this icon. Like Jesus there, it was just like the bread, and the kid's like, I, that's all I got. Like, and all those people behind him are like the pigeons from Finding Nemo. They're like, <laughs> I love, I love. And they're like, how are we going to eat? Like, how are we going to feel these people? And this, this guy, guy brought this. Jesus is like, that'll be enough. He multiplies it and he feeds all of, I think that that would make an amazing tattoo if someone's, the whole thing, like on your back. I love that picture. Jesus, Jesus, he fed the multitude. Jesus had important meals with tax collectors and sinners, with rich and powerful people. He ate with his disciples often and every time that Jesus was at a meal, something profound happened. And of course, there was the most notable meal that he ate on this earth called the Last Supper. We have Leonardo da Vinci's painting, actually a rendering of that painting, that we all, that, that, that brings to our mind. Jesus wasn't that white, just to say that. I just should say that. He wasn't that <laughs> European. But this kind of gets us our, in our mind, like Jesus, he ate, and he dined often with his disciples. And when Jesus returns to restore all things, we will celebrate with him in heaven in what is called the wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus is serious about food. Jesus is serious about meals. Actually, Jesus was, is recorded to be eating so much in the Gospel of Luke that one writer has said, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Like, read Luke, and you'll see, like, Jesus is always either going, coming, there at a meal. In the New Testament, Jesus has several names. One of the names in the New Testament, in the New Testament for Jesus is the Son of Man. The Son of Man. This is a, 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 a name referring to an Old Testament prophecy about, about the Messiah and how the Messiah would be fully man. But not just that, but a, the, a glorified man. It's from the book of Daniel. And there are three ways the New Testament completes the sentence the Son of Man came. How did the Son of Man come? In Mark, we get this. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
In Luke chapter 19, we get this. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And the last time we're given this is in Luke 7. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. One writer has pointed out the first two statements are of purpose. Why Jesus has come. Why did he come? Jesus has come to serve Jesus has come to give his life as a ransom. Jesus has come to seek and save those that are lost. But the last statement, this writer says, and he points out, I think, perfectly, is that Jesus, the third statement is a statement of method. It's how Jesus came. How did Jesus come into the world? How would God make himself known to humanity? How would God incarnate? How would God break into time and space? How would the metaphysical become physical? to bring about our salvation. How? And the scriptures are clear, by eating and by drinking. If Jesus wasn't eating meals, he was talking about them. In Luke 14, Jesus tells this parable during a meal about how the kingdom of God is like a great banquet. And the host sets everything up for this banquet. And once all the preparations are made for this banquet, he, he, he sends his servants out to go grab all the invited guests and said, okay, the banquet feast is ready. Come in and dine. But everyone who was invited said they had something else to do. And they made excuses why they couldn't come. I can't, I can't come to that banquet because I have this thing. I can't go because I'm not really ready. I can't go because I have this commitment. So the master of the house said to invite everyone on the streets Bring in the poor and the blind and the begging until the banquet is full. And Jesus told this parable to teach that the kingdom of God is for the humble. And the kingdom of, in the kingdom of God, the humble will be exalted. The poor, the needy, the blind, the begging, those are on the streets. Those people who realize their need for God. Those people who realize the amazing privilege it is to be invited by God into his banquet. Those people are the ones that are exalted. And then in Mark 7, Jesus uses food to teach on holiness. He says that it's not what a person eats that makes them unholy. It's not that you eat with dirty hands that makes you unholy. It's not the fact that you eat certain foods at certain times that makes you unholy. It's actually what comes out of a person that makes them unholy. Jesus says it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil comes. It's not what goes in, but what comes out. If Jesus wasn't eating food, he was talking about food. Jesus spent so much time around tables and with such low people that they said of Jesus, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, why were meals so important to Jesus? Why were meals the mode of Christ's mission? Why did he come to seek and save the lost, but the, but the method, the how he came, why is it that he came eating and drinking? Here's why. Meals are important to the mission of Jesus because meals were a sign of friendship, acceptance, and grace. Meals are a sign of acceptance and friendship and grace. Meals are the way Jesus defined community. Meals are the way, are, was a method of Jesus' mission. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. See, there was a, a way that the, that the religious of Jesus' day ate and drank. There was a way that they had meals. It was the way that they ate and drank. They ate and drank meticulously. They ate and drank ritualistically. They ate and drank in a stuffy manner with an aroma of self-righteousness. 
I mean, you can eat with certain people and you can only eat on certain days and only eat certain things. It's like eating with an insufferable vegan. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> who judges everyone in line at Ike's. Like just walks by and like, oh my gosh, you're eating beef. That's just, like those insufferable vegans. It's like those, like this religious people. There is a way that the culture in Jesus' day ate and drank. Not just the religious, but the culture. The rich would eat lavish meals and the poor would go hungry. The rich would get together and have servants wait on them and get drunk on fine wine and rich foods. And the reason why they did that was to display, sometimes with the poor people around them, with the poor people even around their home, even poor people serving them. And the reason why they ate differently and they ate different food and they drank different wine, the reason why they did that was to display the social difference and the social distance they had from the poor. Even to humiliate the poor. They were eating to humiliate. Look, look what we have and you don't have this. Keep your proper, proper place. That's how the culture ate. Jesus came and Jesus inaugurated a new meal. He would sit around with the ta- at a table with anyone. He would sit with anyone. There are probably people here, I would imagine in a room this size, that there are people in, in this world that you would be humbled to sit at a table with. You would feel unworthy. And probably the first on that list might be God. Like there's no way in the world I can eat a meal with God. Like I would be, I would be like Peter when Jesus told Peter to cast his net out and all this fish came and Peter saw the, the power of Jesus and who he was and he said, depart from me, I'm unworthy. Maybe you're like that, there's, like, there's no way that God would ever accept me and bring me into a meal. There's no way I can ever do that. There's a book recently that I read that said, imagine God thinking about you. What do you assume God feels when you come to mind? The author writes that a large number of people report that they imagine God feels disappointment with them. When God thinks about me, I think he's probably disappointed in me. Like if I was to eat a meal with God, if I was to eat a meal with Jesus, he would give me the silent treatment over dinner, stuff down his peas and get on with his life. Like there's no way there would be acceptance. There's no way there would be a common meal, laughter, fun. There's no way that would happen. But it's not true. Jesus would be at the table with anyone. He would enjoy his favorite food, food, probably grilled Mediterranean sea bass, I'm guessing. (laughs) And a loaf of bread and a bottle of wine, and he would enjoy that with the most self-righteous crowd, and he would enjoy it with the most unworthy, notorious sinners, and he would do that alike. And he would ignore the stuffy rituals of the religious, and he would ignore the segregation of the culture and talk about a new day coming, when poor will hear the good news, when sinner will be forgiven and the hungry will be fed, and we will all be around a single table together. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. But all these meals that Jesus enjoyed on earth, all these meals that he enjoyed during his ministry, all of them pointed toward a single meal. All of these meals anticipated a single meal. And that meal would become the most important meal for the Christian and the most important meal for the church. It's the meal that we take, the meal that we remember, and the meal that we celebrate every single Sunday. 
See, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. But at this meal, the Son of Man became the drink. And the Son of Man became the bread. And this is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians. He says, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, this wasn't Jesus' literal body. That wouldn't, make it, that wouldn't really make any sense. Example, if I was to hold up this piece of bread and go, this is my body, everyone knows that this is my body and this isn't my body. Like, my body's here. What Jesus is saying is this, this represents it. Like, this, is, this, I, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Then he would break it. And we're not going to break it now. That's later. <laughs> but he would, say, he would hold this up and say, this is my body. This is this represent this is this mysterious act that I'm doing and the church will do for centuries and years and years and years after this. This represents who I am and what I'm doing for you. This anticipates what's going to happen. And then in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now what's going on? Why is this meal so important? Why is commu- the communion meal that we call it the communion meal so important? That all the meals Jesus ate pointed forward to this one meal, and every, every communion meal that we have now points back to it. Why is it such a big deal, this communion meal? Or it's also called the Eucharist. Why is it so important? Well, first off, this meal meant deliverance. This meal meant deliverance. Remember when we opened with the Last Supper account in Luke's Gospel? Luke makes it clear that the supper was celebrated, uh, the, the supper that was celebrated was called the Passover. Did you guys get that when we were reading in, in Luke? This is the Passover. Let me refresh your memory. Then came the, the day of unleavened bread, which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. The last meal that Jesus had with his disciples was the Passover meal. When the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and they said to them, He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Five times Luke reminds us that this meal is the Passover. See, the Passover was a Jewish celebration meal reminding the people of God for them to remember how God has liberated the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. They would celebrate it every year. They Even to this day, it's celebrated recalling what God has done for them. During the Passover meal, if you've ever been to one, my, one of my, my, probably my favorite part of the Passover meal is when the youngest child says, why is this night different than all other nights? Why is this night different than all other nights? That's my favorite part of the meal. And their cute little kid voice, their little Jewish kid voice, like why, and they usually ask daddy, daddy, why is this night different than all other nights? Why, why, why have we taken out the leaven in the house? Why, have we, why are we eating bitter herbs? Why, are we ha- why have we cooked the lamb? Why are, these cu- why are these cups of wine? Why is this meal so special to us? Why are we pausing? Why have people gathered? On the first Passover night, the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. And the ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh, would not liberate them. Pharaoh would not let, their, let the people go. He would, they, he would not let the Israelites go. And they were in bondage. They were in slavery. Therefore, God brought divine judgment. He had to. It was called the plague of death. On the night the Lord would go, uh, that night of the plague of death, the Lord would go through all of Egypt and kill 
in divine judgment all the firstborn of each household. The only way that you can get out of the plague, the only way to be saved from this plague of death out of divine judgment was to take a spotless lamb. And every household had to do this. To take a spotless lamb and kill it. And then take some of its blood and put it on the doorpost of the home. And then you would take the lamb and then you would roast the lamb and you would make unleavened bread because unleavened bread was easier and quicker to make. The yeast didn't have to rise. You made it in haste. You made it fast because God was about to deliver his people and said, make unleavened bread. You don't have time for leavened bread. Take all the leaven out of your house and make it like this. And they would feast. And they would have a meal. And as the Lord that night passed through Egypt to enact divine judgment by killing the firstborn son of each household, as the Lord did this, he would literally pass over the houses that had the blood on the doorpost. As the Lord went through, there would be blood on the doorpost, and the Lord would pass over that house, and pass over that house, and pass over that house. They would, they would literally, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, would literally be saved by the blood of the Lamb. It was that final plague of God's divine judgment that had finally freed the Jewish people from slavery. And every year, the Jewish people remember what God has done. They stop and they remember that God has rescued us. That's why we celebrate this meal, the Passover meal. That's why this night is different than all the other nights because God has delivered us. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a Passover meal. The night that he was handed over to be killed, he had Passover with his disciples. But what he did was he broke the script. There was something, there was a way that you were to take the Passover meal. But Jesus diverted from the script that he was supposed to read. Instead of taking the bread and saying that this is the bread that we ate in our affliction in the wilderness, Jesus said, this is my body. This is the bread of my affliction, broken for you. He took the cup of wine after supper and said, this is my blood, the blood of the lamb. And there are commentators who believe, and I, I, I would put myself in this camp, I, I believe this now, that there was no Passover lamb served that night for Christ was the Passover lamb. There's no mention of lamb. Jesus Christ himself would be the lamb. This is my blood, which is given for you, a new covenant, a new promise, that when you apply this blood, when you come under this blood, my blood, there's forgiveness of sins, there is deliverance from bondage, there is freedom, there is new life, there is real communion with God and with one another in my blood. The reason why all the meals that Jesus had around tables with the self-righteous and the notorious sinners pointed to this meal. Because it's only when Jesus is present in a meal that the self-righteous can see that they have a need deeper than any self-sufficiency can cure. And it's only when Jesus is present in the meal that the notorious sinner can find true forgiveness and embrace in the arms of God. It's this meal, the communion meal, that means that we are delivered that we are saved, that we are free, that we are accepted by God. Not because of anything that you and I have done, but because of his body and his blood given for us. The reason why the Son of Man came eating and drinking is because a meal is the true expression of hospitality. 
A meal is a true expression of hospitality. It brings someone in. This is Christ's world that we live in. And we get to sit at his table, not based on your performance, whether a good performance or a bad performance, not based on your ethnicity, not based on your sexuality. You can leave all that at the door. You are here because of Christ's body and Christ's blood, which was given for you. It's a meal of deliverance. But second, this meal meant community. This meal was a community. The best way to understand how this is true, this, this meaning this meal was a community, the best way I can, I can show you and prove to you why this is true is, is by showing you why Paul was so angry at the Corinthians, why he was so livid at the way they were taking communion. See, church wasn't exactly like church is today. Today you are in rows because we would, it would be a really large table if we all sat around the table. A really big, that actually might be a fun thing to do one day. Get all of us around one table. But churches were smaller then. The first century church was a lot smaller and they met in homes. They didn't have formal churches like we do today. And so there would be a benefactor, a Christian benefactor, someone who, was, who had money in the church. And the church was very diverse in Corinth. They were poor people, they were slaves, they were free, and they were rich people. And there were a couple rich people in the church and the church would gather at their home. And then every time that they would gather, they would take the Lord's Supper. But it wasn't like we'd take it now. It wasn't like cracker, juice. It was bread and wine. It was a meal. Now, the way that houses were broken up in that in in, in first century um, uh, in the first century Roman Empire was that there would be in, in a wealthiest person's house he would have a, a formal dining room, like a lot of the uh, older San Francisco homes have here, a, a formal dining room, and then there would be an outdoor area with like an, uh, uh, like like a like lattice and a terrarium outside where, where everyone else can eat. And the rich people, the people with wealth, the owner of the house would invite all his rich friends over during church and say, okay, the rich people, you're going to eat in, in my room and then everyone else in the church eat outside. And all the food that's good and all the best wine was served here. And all the poor people would probably be working all day, but they wouldn't get to church until later and all the food would already be over with and the scraps would be outside and they would literally go away hungry from church. And the rich people in the church would be drunk by the time the poor people got there. Like literally drunk and just glutton and like, oh my gosh, we ate so much food. That was so good. And the wine was so good and the poor people would leave. And this was the church. And Paul was disgusted. He was like, wait, 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 wait. You're, you're telling me that Christ's body that was broken, the way you're celebrating that is by rich people getting drunk and poor people being, going away starving. Like I have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, later on at the end, we'll get this next week. He says, when I come, I will give you further instructions. Because when I come, I am going to give you further instructions. <laughs> like this is making him, like this is not, this is not communion. This was absurd. Paul says, when you come together, you don't eat the Lord's Supper. Can I just make something really clear? He's saying, when you come together, it's not church. Could you please stop calling it church? It's not the Lord's Supper, it's your supper. You're eating your food. You're not eating Christ. You're not eating his body and blood. You're not taking in, you're not digesting Jesus. You're digesting your own food. Let's get one thing really, really clear here. You're not celebrating Jesus, you're celebrating yourself. The Lord's Supper is marked by hospitality, commonality, humility, love, grace, equality, and generosity. 
Jesus was God in flesh, and at the mill he showed, he showed total concern for others. He even at that meal stooped down and washed the disciples' feet. Jesus had given up his own life for those who were unworthy. Jesus took the status of a slave. He took the nature of a servant. He shared a meal, even his life. And in Corinth, they were celebrating by segregation. They were celebrating by drunkenness. And they were humiliating the poor. It's it's ironic This sort of irony is captured today, every year by celebrating St. Patrick's Day, when we celebrate the saint who was a missionary to Ireland, prayed a hundred times a day, and baptized thousands by getting totally blackout drunk on green beer. That's the irony. It's like, we're celebrating St. Patrick. He was a missionary, and he prayed, and he led people to Christ. Let's get drunk off green beer. Like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. That was their communion. Let's celebrate Jesus who gave his life for us by keeping the rich over here and the poor over here. By you getting drunk and you going away hungry. That makes no sense. But this was the church in Corinth. We don't celebrate communion with cliques. We don't celebrate Christ's body with cold shoulders towards one another. We don't celebrate it by saying this church is better than that church. We don't take communion by not sharing and saving the good food for the people who can appreciate it, the rich people. One scholar has written, communion is not just a private act of piety focused on receiving individual forgiveness, but as a coming together of the Lord's people at a common meal. Communion, true biblical communion, is a meal that should embody the mission of Christ when we meet together, it should, it should embody what Christ did for us. It should, it should, the communion meal should discern need and meet those needs. Meet those needs. It should discern that there's someone in our body who's poor, maybe financially, maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually, and how do we meet that need? It should bring in the stranger who's new to this community, no matter what. It should symbolize our oneness in Christ by sharing what God has freely given us. Paul is judging the church's communion meal for their failure to live out its meaning. You take communion like it's an incantation. You are not embodying what communion is. Now this is where I think we can examine ourselves. Church, this is where we need to examine ourselves. Are we as a church doing this? I know that there are things that happen on Sunday morning in rows that can't be accomplished around tables during community group. And I know there's things in community groups that cannot be accomplished here on a Sunday morning. And so I think the the, probably the most dynamic equivalent to this would be our community groups. When we're around a table, when we're around a living room, when we're face-to-face in a circle, is there communion going on? Is there commonality happening? How are we doing in our community groups by welcoming in the stranger? I'm not just talking about the leaders. I'm talking about all of us that go to community group, that are in community. Is, there ha- is, is this happening? Are we showing ho- the same hospitality towards others that Christ has shown us? Are we, are we welcoming in the stranger going, I didn't deserve to be here either, but I got in. I'm different too. 
but I got in. And so I'm welcoming in the stranger because if I was welcomed in, anyone can be welcomed in. Are we doing that? Are we this sort of church? Church, how are we doing with this? This is something that I want you to reflect on in your community groups this week as you're in them. How are we doing in communion, true, biblical meals together? One thing I like to do for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about communion the next two weeks, specifically from this text. And when I want to give a call out to community groups, I want you to enjoy a, they were called agape feasts, love feasts. I know that means something different in San Francisco than like it did biblically. But a love feast was when everyone had, had a common meal together. So in the next two weeks, I want your community groups to have a communion meal together. I want you to dine together. This can happen a couple ways. This can happen by, there could be a collective dinner, like, hey, everyone make something and bring it, and let's all eat together, try to eat around a table, and share a meal together. It might happen by there's one person in in your group that has a gift, like a crazy insane gift of hospitality. And like, come over to my house, I'm going to cook for everyone. There might be someone in your group that, that can be one of these benefactors that go, you know what, I can afford it, I'm renting out Kakari, Let's have a meal there on me. <laughs> Call me if that happens. <laughs> Call me. Call me on the phone. No, I'm joking. Don't call me. That would, that would, that would go against all the scripture saying. Say, don't call me. <laughs> but if I hear about it, I hear about it. Um, <laughs> I, I, want you, I want us to do this together. What this does as well, when we realize that this is the mission, the, Jesus came and his mission was, the way it was, was brought about was through eating and drinking. Doesn't this free us from like, how, how, do, we be, how do we reach San Francisco? How do we be evangelistic? I, I would suggest don't invite him to church. Invite him over your house for a meal. Invite him over your house. Like that's, that's just, this, that's the ministry of Jesus. Invite them over your home, show them hospitality, show your coworkers and your neighbors and your friends hospitality. Can you come over to my house for a meal? I want, you to know, I want to hear your life, unless there's things that, that, that happen around a meal that are just so fun and engaging. That should be our ministry. Don't invite people to this church, invite them to your home for a meal. Do that over and over again. It takes so much pressure of like, how do I, how do I evangelize, how do I witness? Just invite them over to your house for a meal. Guys, the church... I don't mind this church being known as a church that eats and drinks. Like all that church, they just they eat and drink a lot. I, I've said this plenty of times before, but it bears repeating. The early church and the Roman Empire were completely countercultural. And one of the things that was said about the early church, early church in the Roman Empire is that they shared their tables with everyone and their beds with no one. They shared their tables with everyone and their beds with no one. And that was so countercultural because then tables were sacred. Like, oh no, only people in your social class can eat at your table. But their beds, they slept with anyone and everyone. Maybe said of this church, of our church, that yeah, they share their tables, their house is open. The gift of hospitality is alive and well. They don't share their beds. We can't figure them out. The reason why I think that this is this is good news, this, this text is great news for the church, for our church, is because it means that communion is not open for reinterpretation. It means that the church, and though you might be in here and you might like not like the insti- institutionalized church, like I hate what the church has done to the Bible, I hate the church, what the church has done to Jesus, and there's a lot of grounds for that, and I understand that. 
but what, what's sobering about this and what's refreshing about this at the same time is that we can't reinterpret what this is saying. We can't make communion mean something it never meant. We can't say, well, communion is about us. Communion still means the same thing. It means that communion must mean the same thing the same night that Jesus took it with his disciples. It means that this meal still means that there is forgiveness for you. This meal still means that there's acceptance and there's grace and there's love no matter who you are, not because of who you are, but because of what Christ has done. That's, this meal still means that. It, means that it, it also means that, that we are accepted not only by God, but we are accepted into the community of faith. This meal summons us to live in love and charity with our neighbors. This meal calls us again and again to confess our sin and to open ourselves to leading a new life in Christ. Church, may we be people who embody this meal, who embody this communion meal and what it means, what it means for us as a church and what it means for our city. Jesus came eating and drinking. May we around the table eat and drink to the glory of God. May we around a table eat and drink and say that Christ is the one who brings us all together. Our community groups, we should not naturally get along with each other. But because of Christ, we have commonality. May it be said of our church that we have come into San Francisco eating and drinking to the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for this church and what communion means. And as we take communion together as a church body, I pray that we would, as Paul would go on to say, examine ourselves. Will we examine ourselves even right now? Are there ways that we're excluding others? Are there ways that we have a clique of friendship and community that we don't want anyone else to get into? Are there ways that we, when we do something, we invite certain people but not others, purposefully to segregate? Are there ways that we're holding grudges around communion, bitterness in our hearts toward another brother or sister? Examine us, Lord. Search our hearts. Are there ways that we go to communion thinking we don't have any need Show us, reveal to us how poor we really are, all of us. I pray at this table we would find grace. In Jesus' name, amen.